Good morning. Happy Father's Day to the dads out there. You can tell the dads with the young kids are the one with coffee this morning. <clears throat> it's a great privilege to be a dad. I remember the young days when our kids were young and growing up, middle school, high school, even preschool, and, and uh, how exhausting that was. Now I look back and they're just good memories. And so if you're in those categories, dads, hang in there. Now, my kids are just an incredible blessing in my life, <clears throat> incredible challenge. My son and I had an interesting exchange last night. It's about, I don't know, 10 o'clock, and I was laying on a couch in our living room and just kind of working on this thing, and, and uh, Chris is in an adjacent room hanging out, and um, he, he kind of pops out and he goes, do you want something, Dad? Did you call me? And I was like, this, this story probably won't make that much sense unless you know the Old Testament a little bit. I was like, <clears throat> no, I didn't call you. I said, maybe it was the Lord, you know, talking to you. And I said, maybe you need to go back in there and listen. And he said, okay, but I may like come back out in a few minutes and tell you that God's going to kill you or something like that. And I was like, I'm going to bed. <laughs> so that's what I did. <laughs> Stay away from that guy the rest of the night. <clears throat> So I'm here, so I guess it went all right. I didn't talk, talk to him this morning. If you're a guest, we, we do, I want to echo that. Glad you're here. Hope this is a good, good time for you. We're engaging a series called Journey to Freedom. We're looking at it through the second book of the Bible, Exodus. Exodus is a story about a people who are moving from a place of slavery to a place of freedom. It's not just a story about a people, though. It's also kind of a parallel story about a person, a man, a man named Moses, whom God has been shaping. God delivered Moses as a baby from the wrath of an angry king in Egypt. Uh, He's protected him throughout his life, even from himself at times. And Moses has spent the last 80 years... Uh, being shaped in Midian, kind of as a fugitive uh, of law, and God has been dealing uh, with him. Today, we're going to talk about freedom that comes from obedience. Um, It's a really, really important thing for us to think about, freedom that comes from obedience. Jesus said, if you hold, Brian said this earlier, if you hold to my teaching, if you obey my teaching, You really are my followers. That's how we know. And then he says, then you'll know the truth from your obedience. And the truth will what? Make you free. That's God's vision for your life. A free person. Free from the demands of, you fill in the blank, yourself, your culture, your dad, (laughs) the shame that you feel, your past. He really has... A free person in his mind as he considers you. You know, most people believe in God or gods with a little g. However, most people, maybe it's fair to say most of us, do what we can to keep God on the margins of our lives. Obedience pushes back on that. Obedience says you have to put God in the center. So when we come here on Sunday, for example, what Sunday is, it's not simply a place to enjoy 
community. It's not a place simply to enjoy being together and worship and learning. All those things are part of it. But gathering together in Jesus, in, in Jesus' name is where we say, God, please move back to the center of my life. I'm sorry that I put you over here again. Last night, I, well, early, back up a little bit, I uh, got... I got done preparing for this message yesterday morning, about 8 in the morning, which is like really good. And um, I thought, I'm good. I printed my notes, and uh, I always pull them out later Saturday night, and uh, so I pulled them out last night. And I, it was very clear to me that while I, I had prepped to talk, I was not prepared. I had not prepped myself. And so I spent the next few hours thinking about that and thinking about everything that had trafficked through my mind and heart this week and how there, there was something missing. And it took me a couple hours to realize there was this lack of a surrendered heart of obedience that I was in that place. God was on the margin. The sermon was ready. God was on the margin of my heart. So, just a reminder, we're not playing here. We're bringing God front and center in our lives. And anything less than that is less than a path for freedom for us. That's what God wants us to hear this morning. We're going we're gonna to look this morning at an exchange between God and Moses. It's really a privileged like dialogue that we get to be privy to. In, in all of Scripture, I don't know that there's anything quite like the conversation we're going to hear this morning out of Exodus chapter 3 and a little bit of chapter 4. So strap it on. I'm going to go pretty hard for a while. Uh, at first, I'm probably going to go fast, and then we'll try to draw out some learning. Let's pray and ask God to be our teacher. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Father God, we welcome you. Jesus, our Redeemer, we welcome you. And we ask that you would be with us fully this morning as we can stand to be with us. Would you illuminate your word? Would you do what I can't do? Would you do what our ears alone can't hear? Would you, would you come and be our advocate, our comforter, our convictor? Would you bring truth and show it, show us how to receive it? We're gonna, we're gonna see a man this morning, Lord, that couldn't receive what you had for him. God, would you use it to really, uh, not just sadden us at that reality because bring conviction. It's not just this old guy's story. It's our story. We want to keep you on the margins and you say, he who has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. Would you draw that, draw us into that place this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 3. Our author tells us that Moses is in Midian and he's tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. Last week we learned his name is Reol, which just means friend of God. 
Now he's called Jethro. That's probably his proper name. He's the priest of Midian. And Moses led his flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb is a new place for us. It means wasteland. Moses is tending sheep on the dark side of a wasteland. God often comes to us in unsuspecting places. This is not Moses in the temple seeing a grandiose vision of God. This is God with a bunch of sheep on the dark side of a mountain. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from a bush of all places. Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it didn't burn up. I don't think he's here, but this is kind of Skyler's kind of moment. I mean, you kind of get fire and God in the same <laughs> sentence. Skyler gets excited and leans forward. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw he'd gone over to look, God called to him from the bush. Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. So Moses' curiosity leads him to look, to investigate. Little does he know his curiosity is leading him into the presence of God. Sometimes curiosity does that. It leads us into somewhere we weren't expecting. Moses is about to see and hear God. God is going to reveal himself to Moses. And so God began speaking as Moses approaches. He says, that's close enough. Don't get any closer. Take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground. And then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. And at this we're told Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look up. Smart guy. It's hitting him in the face now. His curiosity has turned into something else. There's a sobriety in this in this moment, he stumbled into the presence of Almighty God. Can you imagine? The exchange we're about to hear is, is going to be fascinating. It, it's something that Moses is totally unprepared for. It's animated, it's lively. You don't prepare for this. Moses is completely stunned. By this conversation. But not God. God's been thinking about this conversation for a while. He's been shaping Moses for this dialogue. For 80 years. Purposefully, incrementally, creatively shaping Moses. Let's listen in. The Lord said, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slavery. I am concerned about their suffering, so I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and Jebusites. The cry of Israel has reached me. 
And I have seen how the Egyptians are oppressing them. God is communicating directly, clearly, and strongly to Moses. At first he says, this is who I am and this is what I plan to do. Not much pleasantries going on. Not much introduction. God's not speaking as some detached monarch deity. The suffering of his people has reached him. And it has affected him. And he says, I'm coming down. Second, he says, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. He can't get much more direct than that. What clarity, what conciseness, what brevity. You ever wish God would just lay it out for you like that? Would just be that clear? And concise and direct? Well, maybe. (laughs) Moses isn't so sure he's digging this. So, and bear with me, I came up with this one myself. Moses starts sticking his butt into the conversation. In fact, we're going to see Moses stick several butts into this conversation. First he says... Who am I? But God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring Israel out of Egypt? It's a fair question. Maybe there's some nobility in it. Maybe there's humility in it, perhaps. And God responds to Moses, but God says, I will be with you. Doesn't answer his question, you are. You, Moses. He says, I'll be with you. And this will be the sign that I've sent to you. Pay attention when God says, here's a sign. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you'll worship God on this mountain. So God answers Moses' question two ways. First, I promise my presence. I'll be with you. And to help you, I have a sign for you. And here it is. Later... You will lead your people out of Egypt and you'll, you'll find yourself on this dark mountain again, worshiping me. What kind of sign is that? Here's what I think. I think God is giving Moses a sign that can only be received through faith. This is not some tangible thing he can put his hands on. God is giving Moses this prophetic, kind of futuristic sign that the only way it's going to make any sense if he'll trust God right here and right now with it. That's it. If you don't do that, this is nonsense to him. And Moses is not really getting it. So he has another but. Moses said to God, But suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, What is his name? What should I tell them? So but number two, who are you? Who am I? Now who are you? It seems an unreasonable thing to ask. I don't necessarily hear sarcasm in it. Like, who are you? 
I think Moses wants to know, remember, Moses has been spending the last 40 years in Midian. He's been spending his time in the household of a priest of Midian. Who is this guy, this priest, his father-in-law? We don't really know. Scholars don't really know. He's not, we think, a priest of Yahweh. Some scholars think he's a Druze priest. Another religion that was kind of friendly, kind of believed in one God, kind of friendly to the Jewish people, but we don't know. But what we do know, this is kind of the religious culture Moses has been in for the past 40 years. So maybe Moses' question is honest. Who are you? And God answers Moses. I am who I am. That's what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Don't miss what's happening here. This is important. God is telling Moses his name. God is not being named by someone else as little G's, little, little G gods are. God is saying, here's my name. You know, when you share your name with someone, you're not necessarily telling them everything about you. But you are sharing something very personal and very important. To tell someone your name, at least most of the time, reveals an openness. An honesty, maybe even a vulnerability. This is my name. It communicates perhaps desire and intent for relationship. Accessibility, availability. This is my name. It opens the conversation. It invites more. And that's what's occurring. I am who I am. Sounds like something the old cartoon Popeye would say. I am what I am. Ha ha ha, you know, but it's not that. It's kind of awkward, isn't it, in English? I am who I am. What does it mean? Now, if you, if you keep reading, you start to get a picture what it means. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. I am the God of your fathers, Moses. Maybe he's not just telling Moses what to say to the elders of Israel. Maybe he's telling Moses, I am the God of your fathers, Moses. I am the same God of your heritage. I am the God of your people, I am the God who has entered your journey way before you are aware of it. Tell them that's who I am. This is my name forever. I'm not just the name of their past. I'm the name, the God of their future. I'm the name you will call me from generation to generation. I'm the God who will be with them. I'm the God who is with them. And I'm the God who has been with them. Tell them that. I'm the same God tomorrow that I've been and I'm who's addressing you right now. I am who I have been and I will be who I am. Tell them that. I am God. I'm not going anywhere. I will faithfully be God to you. I commit my presence and my promise of faithfulness to you. I am who I am. I will be God to you. I will be God to your people. You can count on it. 
When you go into business with God, this is the God that you get. I am who I am. I entered your story way before you knew it. I was crafting you before you were born. I knew you before you knew me. I know you in ways you don't know. I'm shaping you in ways you can't see. Perhaps I'm shaping you in your desert. I am who I am. And I will be faithful with you tomorrow. You never are dealing with a fickle God. So God says to Moses, Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob... Notice how many times he brings up the heritage. Say to them, this God appeared to me and said, I've watched over you. He didn't just speak to me, he appeared to me. I've seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I've promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt. Into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. A land flowing with milk and honey. And the elders will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of Hebrews, has met with us. Go assemble the elders. That may have been scarier for Moses than go to Pharaoh. He didn't actually actually end on a high note the last time he was with the people of Israel. He's a fugitive... Go assemble these guys and go tell them that I've not just spoken, but I've appeared to you. And then take them with you and go tell Pharaoh what I'm telling you. Go. God is directly instructing Moses word for word. He's also establishing Moses' prophetic leadership. This is what prophets do. They hear from God. And then they speak that to others. Directly. So God tells Moses that the elders will listen. But he says Pharaoh will not. He's that plain with him. God is laying it right there. This is one of those moments when you can say like, oh wow. But, Moses has another but. It's the what if, but. Moses answered, but what if they don't believe me? Or listen to what I say? What if they say, the Lord didn't appear to you? What if? God has already told Moses the elders would listen. He's also given Moses a sign that Moses didn't get. Because his faith is failing. And the conversation is starting to pivot just a little bit. The first two questions, who am I? Who are you? They're kind of understandable. But now Moses, it's obvious he's not getting what God is communicating to him. His faith is failing, and we're starting to see another layer in Moses. 
That, that guy that put his face in the sand when he realized he was in God's presence, that was the first layer. And that was good. There, were, there was this recognition of God and His holiness. There was a reverence there. We champion that. But now there's a deeper layer. God's speaking to Moses. And Moses isn't hearing. He's struggling. What if, God? Do you ever do that? What if? What if it doesn't go just the way I want? What if it doesn't go the way I think you're saying, God? There's a deeper layer in Moses that's filled with insecurities and doubt and self-centeredness. And because of those things, they're clouding confidence in what God has just said. I'll be with you. I'll go with you. I'll tell you what to say. I think all of us who go into business with God eventually get here. You know, we, we may come to God because of that first layer. We may come to Christ because of that first layer. Of course I want to trust my life to Christ. I mean, I, I, he, He'll forgive me. I'll get to go to heaven one day when I die. And that's good. That's that first layer. But God says, there, wait, there's more. Because I have a vision for your life. I have a vision that's going to have to be shaped in you. Because I see a free person. Those insecurities that are in those other layers. Those, that shame that's in those other layers. The sadness and the disappointment and the hurt that's in those layers. We're going to go there. God is like, I'm not building a robot. I'm not trying to just work on your behavior. I'm trying to mold you into the image of Jesus. I have a vision for your life. Your life that's broken by sin. That's been wrecked by your own stupidity. Like Moses, we have so many buts, we don't know what to do with them. Jesus has exactly the knowledge of what to do with them. He has a vision for freedom. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, and then you'll know the truth. And the truth will what? Make you free. He said, he who has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. God knows that that kind of freedom only comes through obedience. We come to God, we want to be religious, we want to be part of a healthy community, we want to be a good person. And those things are good, but God's not going to settle for those desires on the margins of your life. He's going to eventually bring you to a place of obedience. And if your yes isn't there, He's going to keep coming back at that place with you. And you're not going to be free until that's dealt with. God is kind to Moses here. He responds to Moses by giving three very tangible signs. We're not going to get into them. You can read them. They're there in Exodus 3. The first, 
He says, okay, Moses, you want signs? I'll give them to you. He says, throw your, throw your staff down on the ground. And it turns into a snake. And, and he says, now pick it back up. And it goes back to a staff. He says, put your hand in your, in your cloak. And he said, pull it back out. And it's full of leprosy. And he goes, put it back in there again. It's healed. And then he says, hey, you, if you can knock on the river with your staff, it'll turn into blood. He gives, you know what he does? He gives Moses magic. That's exactly what he's doing. He's like, okay, I'll give you some magic tricks. Put, put, put these in your bag. You might need them later. You, you know what the irony is? Moses actually uses them. You know what the real irony is? They don't do much good. God already shown Moses a sign. That was the sign that mattered. The rest of it was magic. One day you'll come back and worship me. See, faith is essential for obedience. Because when God asks you to obey, it's not going to make sense at some level. Or it's going to look really costly. It's going to look hard. So God gives Moses some magic. But Moses has yet another but. Verse 10 of chapter 4, Moses says, "Um, Pardon your servant, Lord. Now he's getting a little more sophisticated in his speech. But I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, but since you started speaking, I am slow of speech and of tongue. And by the way, God, this is problematic. This is the butt of, I don't have what it takes. God brings in his inability to speak into this, what has now become a negotiation. I'm not a dynamic speaker, and this is no small thing in the light, and that's what you're asking me to do, God. You asked me to go speak to the elders and then to Pharaoh, and I stink at this. So, but I don't have what it takes. We know this way, don't we? We know this way. When God asks us to do something and we do inventory. And we say, you must be mistaken. And God says, I'll be with you. We focus on who we're not. I mean, I wonder how many of you are doing that. You focus on who you're not. All, all the resources you don't have. All the freedom and health you don't have. The advantages you don't have that the person sitting next to you, you perceive does. We know this one. Focusing on who we're not. You know that one? Moses is now beginning to get derailed. He's getting distracted by his own issues. Rather than locking on to what God has said to him, I will be with you. I'll give you what you need. Moses is focused on Moses. And therefore lacks confidence in what God has asked him to do. He's sliding. So God intervenes. This time it's a little different on God's side. He challenges his butt. Who gave human beings their mouths? Moses, 
Who makes them deaf or mute? What about their eyes? Who makes, gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I? Now go. I'll help you speak and I'll teach you what to say. God is having no more of Moses' excuses. He doesn't deny that Moses isn't gifted at speech. He doesn't say, oh, come on, Moses, you can do it. Just give it a shot. You know what else he doesn't do? He doesn't say, I'll heal your speech. I'll put my hand on you and make you a good speaker. Nope. He said, no, Moses, I'm sending you this model. I'm sending you as you are. I'm going to work with you as someone who's not good at speech. I'm the creator of your mouth. We'll work this out. And I'll be with you. In fact, I'll train you, he says. I'll teach you. I mean, what an offer. That's another oh wow moment. God's saying to Moses, I'll mentor you. I'll be your life coach. See, God doesn't need a perfectly flawed person. He doesn't need the best version of you. He just needs an available one. That's what he's looking for. So this is the moment of truth we've arrived on in the, in the conversation. God has commanded Moses to go. Moses has boldly asked questions. And God has entered the conversation and God has committed his full unconditional support. It's fish or cup bait time. And Moses says, pardon your servant. Please send someone else. And there's the last but. It's called unwillingness. It's called disobedience. I'm out of excuses, but I will not obey. In spite of all the formation God has done in Moses' life, all the protection, all the hard knocks he's taken. He's 80 years old now. All the opportunities Moses has had to trust God. All the leadership strengths he has, the compassion he has for the oppressed, the sense of justice of right and wrong, this strength of ego in Moses that we admire. He has all those things, but he lacks faith and courage that are need for unconditional obedience. And so he won't go, he says. Pardon your service. Your servant, please send someone else. And then the story does get kind of sad. We're told the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? He can speak well. If that's what you think what it takes, Moses, let's use Aaron. He's already on his way to meet you. I don't know if God was like phoning Aaron, you know, while this is going, hey, you better get ready. This is not going well. He'll be glad to see you. 
You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I'll help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He'll speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hand because you're going to need the magic. Hello, plan B. That's what this is. So, what do we learn from this? What, what's our takeaways from this conversation? Well, you'll have some that I haven't thought about. I'm going to give you a few that came to me. What can we learn? First, we can learn from Mo- Moses' part in this conversation. The thing that's awesome about Moses is his strength of ego in this conversation. It's healthy. Moses is not a man pleaser. Moses knows how to have a voice in this conversation with God. He holds his own, even in the presence of God. Don't miss that. We can learn from Moses here. He he has a direct communication with God. Moses can teach us to learn to say what we mean and mean what we say. Some of us struggle with that. God wants to shape you in that way. He wants to shape you to learn to say what you mean and mean what you say. Moses is bold and persistent. He's strikingly courageous, almost a little bit scary at times. He's so courageous in his conversation. But it reminds me of Jesus' conversation about prayer. Where he says, keep asking. When you want something from God, keep stay at it. Be persistent. Be per- per- courageous. So that's the first thing. We can learn a little bit from Moses here. Secondly, we can learn from God in this conversation. First of all, in spite of Moses' resistance, God doesn't eliminate him. Yeah, I said that right. In spite of Moses' resistance, God doesn't eliminate Moses. It's part of the plan. Moses is still going to lead his people out of Egypt. God stays with him even through his resistance. God has chosen Moses and that has settled God's commitment to him. Interesting. Also, God allows Moses to give legitimate input into the conversation. When Moses is talking, there's, God's just not going, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about the next thing I'm going to say now. No, Moses actually has a part in this conversation. There's a relationship here. God is not the only one who has something to say in it. Interesting. Moses resistant in the beginning. It triggers more revelation from God. Who am I? God shows more of himself. I'm the God of your fathers. Who are you, God? God gives him his name. Also, while God is asking for unconditional obedience from Moses, God does not impose his will on him. He respects the dignity of Moses' humanity as a person who can choose. See, God is moving in history with Moses, not independently of Moses. 
And God even adapts plan A. God is placing and entrusting his message in the hands of this broken man. This insecure person. God is choosing not only to work through Moses' strengths, and he has them, but through his weaknesses. In a sense, God is limiting himself. God surely didn't need Moses to get his people out of Egypt. But he's limiting himself to Moses leading them out. God is accepting what Moses is willing to offer, even if it's not his best. That's an amazing snapshot, I think. Let's pause here just for a second. Of this divine human relationship, this partnership. God and Moses are going to work together to deliver Israel from slavery. God is never going to be less than Almighty God. Don't get nervous. But rather than deliver Israel on his own, which he could have, he stays with Moses. This is a way of partnership illustrated by God and Moses, and we can learn from this. It should inform the way that we relate to God. It should give us hope. If you know what? You're going to blow it. You do blow it. And God stays with you. Sometimes He has to go from plan A to B to C with us. But you know what? He stays with us. And He works His purposes out. God has entered the human condition. He's chosen to partner with sinful, broken people. He does not wait till you get your act together. This does not diminish His sovereignty or His ability to lead. In fact, the the opposite is the case. God has everything He needs within Himself. He's 100% sufficient. He does not need us. He does not need you. But He is willing and able and desires to work through weak people like us. He never ceases being God. Even living and working among frail humanity. And He is worthy of worship because of that. That is an oh wow right there. He is worthy of our worship because He stays with us. Third, we must learn from Moses' disobedience. He has great leadership. He has a great strength of ego, but he lacks a heart to obey. He lacks true submission. He's wanting to keep God on the margins. We see the surface level submission when he gets his face in the sand. But when deeper layers are exposed, God, Moses resists unconditional obedience. Now Moses does rebound a bit, as we'll see. He does wind up going to Pharaoh. He does lead the people out of Egypt. But you know what? This issue of, of disobedience, of not obeying God unconditionally, continues to plague Moses. He leads the people out, but you know what? Moses really never gets to enjoy the fruit of his leadership. He does not get to go into the promised land, as we will see. So we should learn from this. God will stay with us. But when we do less than unconditional obedience, we're going to miss a lot. Finally, we should learn about obedience, not just disobedience. We should learn from this example, asking someone to shape, 
to do hard things. That God is shaping to do hard things. You know what God asked Moses to do must have felt impossible. Let's give Moses a little bit of cred here. Leave the place you've been living as a fugitive for 40 years. Go back to the place and people and people groups you fled from. Get a hearing and assert yourself in the presence of the successor of the man who wanted to hunt you down and kill you. And the man that he pivot on a national policy of slavery that has allowed the building of the infrastructure of his nation and just let those people go. That's what God's asking Moses to do. Obedience to God never comes to us as something convenient. Easy. Something we already have the resources for, the gifts for. It rarely comes to us in the shape of, this fits my giftedness. This fits who God made me to be, or I got this already. It never comes to us in a, in a way that we don't need faith. If only Moses could have received that first sign. Okay, God, I got it. That's hard, but I got it. All you're going to give me is one day, someday, right now. I'll obey that. Obedience never comes to us without a cost or a price. In fact, when God, at the point of obedience in your life, when He gets in those layers in our lives, it always or most, most always looks impossible. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, Jesus said, He's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and what? show myself to him. If you have my commands and you obey them, then you're really my disciple. And then you'll know the truth. And the truth will make you free. You want freedom. It doesn't come from watching Braveheart. It comes through passing through obedience to Jesus Christ. He will make you free. He'll shape you in the way of his freedom. I want to share, I read from my prayer book last night before I went to, or this morning actually, when I, when I got up. And the prayer for, or one of the scriptures today was Romans 5. I just want to read it to you and just highlight something uh, Paul writes and then, and then we'll be done. You guys can come on up if you want. Paul, the Apostle Paul writes, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God in our faith. Through, through Christ, we've gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope. There's a benefit of freedom, of the glory of God, but also we glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. See, Paul is describing a transformational journey of freedom. Right here. Suffering. Perseverance. Character. Hope. That, that's what freedom in the kingdom of God looks like. And hope does not put us to shame, Paul writes. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is God's vision for your life. Not lack of suffering 
or no need of persevering. But I will go with you and I will teach you how to live this life. That's his vision for your life. And that's a tremendously free life. And you can trade that life for one, whatever the world's offering to you. You want that one? God may let you have it. It will not be freedom for you. It will be something different. I want to pray for us. God, give us a heart of lions that we would have the courage that we wouldn't, we wouldn't put you on the margins. We, we do live in this fear that if we put you front and center, you're going to ask some kind of unreasonable obedience from us. You're going to ask for resources we don't have. You're going to ask for us to do something that's out of our strengths, out of our gifts. <clears throat> You're going to ask for surrender and submission and following you even when it doesn't make sense to us. Yes, Lord, give us that courageous heart. Give us that courageous heart, each of us. Give us that courageous heart as a people. I pray that as it was in Moses' day, in that people, it would be our journey. This journey to freedom would go through, not around obedience. Help us. We need your help. Oh God, we know you've given us your help. You've promised it to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.